any um, preaching today. Um, my thought was we'd worship and then uh, break up into our discussions. But when I when I got with the Lord this morning, um, He just taught me something, another another kind of layer to this revelation. So I'm just going to share it quick, as that's always been my commitment. Just share with you all what the Lord is sharing with me. Teach you all what He's teaching me. So this is a really a kind of a simple point, but I think this is sort of how understanding works. When we ask for a spirit of wisdom and understanding, um, I think understanding just continues to be revealed layer by layer. And um, obviously when we're talking about walking in or partaking in the divine nature, that's a real big topic. And uh, for the Lord to continue to give layers of understanding, I don't want any of them to be skipped or missed. So, um, so that's why I'm gonna share this quick. <clears throat> So go with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. So um, as we talked about last week, one of the ways that we can understand the sanctification process, which um, if you recall, there are those three Biblical words, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is the single act of redemption bought by the blood of the true unblemished lamb. Justification is the ongoing process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ or uh, learning how to partake in the divine nature. Glorification is our forever existence in the age to come, resurrected in glorified bodies and walking in that divine nature at all times. So during the sanctification part of the process, basically in between being born again and when we die, we have two natures battling and we're all born with the carnal nature. That is the nature that is at war with God, cannot understand the things of God, cannot submit to God, cannot worship God, cannot love God, and that's the only option we have when we're born. And up until, if we are elected, predestined for adoption until we're born again, once we are born again, we are given access to a different nature. And Peter teaches on this uh, topic at the beginning of his second letter. So let's read this real quick, if someone wouldn't mind. Um, Verses 1 through 4 of Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Thank you, sir. Second Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God which have been given to us exceedingly 
escape the corruption that is in the world through love. Okay, so Peter makes it clear that one of the ways or, or a, um, a necessary means of partaking in the divine nature are the promises given to those who are authentically born again, as we've discussed over the last several weeks. Uh, central to those two promises are the new heart and the new spirit that we are given. Yeah. Walking in the divine nature is absolutely impossible without those two promises. That's why this is only available to those who are authentically born again, born of the spirit, adopted, and heirs of the kingdom of heaven. So, so Peter lays that sort of theological foundation, um, the availability of partaking in the divine nature and then he goes into our response to it our piece to play if you will our part of the um, of the covenant there's always two sides we've got work to do on our side so he gives uh, some specific biblical instruction here on how we walk it out the application piece so Kirby would you mind continuing uh, on verse 5 And what's, I'm going to pause you a couple times, that those first um, five words there are important because he is basically saying, because of what I've just explained, now I'm going to tell you what to do. All right, I'm making this point because we're going to look at another text that Paul does the exact same thing. So he just revealed a miraculous, incredible truth that... God's divine nature is something that we can partake in. And he's saying, because that is the truth, now here's what you need to do. Does that make sense? Because of the truth that I just taught, here's what you need to do. Go ahead, Kirby. Uh, verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue and knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's the quick takeaway or the quick teaching point that the Lord showed me this morning that I'm sharing with you guys. It is the, the protection that our walk gives us as it relates to protecting our faith. All right, and, and let me uh, unpack this a little bit. So he makes a huge theological point that we can be partakers in the divine nature because of the promises given to those who are authentically born again. Uh, by partaking in this divine nature, we escape the corruptions in the earth. And then he says, so for that reason, you need to add to your faith virtue. Now, as we've talked about prior, the faith that he's talking about is what? 
the faith to be justified, the faith to believe the gospel, the faith to respond to the gospel, the faith to believe that this is all real. That faith is given by God as a gift of his choice to whom he chooses. At the time he chooses it, through the vessel he chooses it, it is all entirely of God. All right, so if you have been given that faith as a gift from God, what Peter is saying here is you got to act on that faith. The faith in the hugeness of it and the truth that, it, um, that we believe has got to be responded to, has got to be acted upon. And the first thing he says uh, needs to be done is we add what? Virtue, which is just specifically living a moral life. Right? It's not a complicated first thing to add. Living morally. Living morally excellent. Okay, but look, look at what he says. Go to verse um, four. Uh, I'm sorry, go to verse eight with me. So, for if these things are yours and abound, and what's he talking about there? Virtuous living, you know, amongst other things, but let's just focus on the first one of the list. Remember, super important theological truth. You can be partakers in the divine nature. Because that is the case, you need to be diligent about doing what first? Living morally. Living morally excellent. And he says in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound and abound, what? And if what's yours and what abounds? Virtuous living. If virtuous living is yours and abounds, he tells us some things that we will not experience. Right? And what's he say? Barrenness and unfruitfulness. Okay, those things will not be yours if you abound and live virtuously. Okay, so what would be the opposite of that? If you do live virtuously, what will be yours? Probably the opposite, right? I just wrote down, for carnal living, I'm sorry, in our carnal nature, we only have access to worldly living. Worldly living is the opposite of virtuous living. He said, if you do not have virtuous living, you will be barren and unfruitful, right? If we are chosen by Jesus' own words, what are we chosen for? Anyone remember John 15, 16? You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to do what? Bear fruit, right? Fruit that will last. So if we are chosen, we are chosen specifically to bear fruit, right? The Bible teaches that in, in, our, in our carnal nature with worldly living, we will be barren and unfruitful, right? So, so if we partake in the divine nature and add virtuous living, which requires all diligence, then we will be fertile and fruitful, Okay? Now look at verse 9. For who lacks these things? Who lacks what? The things that we are to add, the first of which is virtuous living. If you lack virtuous living, which is to basically say, if you live worldly, 
right? If you neglect moral excellence and just live worldly, what's at stake? What's lost? What comes with worldly living? What does the word say? Short-sightedness, even blindness, and forgetting what? Which is really what? Our salvation. Right? So if you can have this moment of being authentically born again, and you do not recognize, and I make this point because, I, gosh, I see this so much in the church, right? The enemy has so successfully attacked the commandments of God and the call to holiness and the call to morality with this hyper-grace-focused gospel that I see this in the church a lot, right? Even if the conversion is authentic, there's so little talk about sin, so little talk about holiness, so little talk about repentance, so little talk about moral excellence that the, that the bride of Christ continues to just live worldly. And what does the word say? If you live worldly, what does it do to your, to your faith in your own salvation? It causes short-sightedness, leading to blindness, leading to forgetting you've been forgiven? Wow. And how many in the church are questioning their salvation from time to time? Questioning whether this is all real from time to time? Questioning, is this, am I really his? Right? Well, here's, the, here's what the word teaches. If you choose to live worldly, you are going to have that question. That's what it's teaching. That's what Paul's teaching. If you choose to not add virtuous living, you are going to be barren, unfruitful, short-sighted, blind, and forgetting that you are saved. That's a big, big risk, right? No wonder the enemy has worked so hard to try and teach us how we live doesn't matter. Peter is saying the exact opposite. He's saying the first thing that we add to our faith, the faith to have our eyes opened the faith to believe that this is all real, the faith to respond to the gospel, the faith to be born again, that is all a gift from God. The first thing we add to that is moral excellence. Why? Because somehow, some way, us living morally excellent protects that faith. That's what he's saying. Go to, go to um, no wait, pause. Pause first. Because Peter, what Peter is saying here, Paul says the exact same thing in the exact same way for the exact same reason, all right? The, the Spirit wants us protected right now, saints, from distracted, confused, double-minded, questioning our salvation living. That's what's at stake right now. He wants us certain of our salvation. He wants us razor-focused on eternal things. Right? He, wants us, he wants us to live with no fear and with clarity right now. Right? He wants us fruitful and fertile and focused because our faith is so rock solid. Because our certainty that this is all real is so rock solid. And he says the way that you protect that is by how you live. That's a big, big thing. Big, big revelation. You protect your faith by how you live. The faith is a gift. The faith is entirely from God. But the way that we protect it, the way that we treasure it, the way we, that we ground ourselves in it and root ourselves in it and build our houses on the foundation of it is by how we live every day. 
That's what protects that faith. It's what protects the belief. Okay, so let's go to, let's go to Paul, Paul making the exact same point. The book of Ephesians. We'll do a, we'll a 10,000 foot survey of the first three chapters of Ephesians. All right? Ephesians 1 starts off talking about what? Redemption in Christ. Right? If you have been predestined for adoption, elected by God's will God, for God's purposes, on God's timing, then you have already been chosen to be holy in Christ. And he spends the whole first chapter basically talking about being seated in Christ, joined with Christ, one with Christ. Right? God is reconciling the whole world back unto himself through Christ. Paul is giving the, the theological truth that if you are a part of that reconciliation, it's because he chose you for it, chose you for adoption. And it's adoption in Christ to be holy before the foundations of the world. Then he says in chapter 2, so nobody can be confused about it. This is only by grace through faith. A faith that you didn't earn, that you can't buy, that you don't study your way to, that God and God alone gives you. So that absolutely no one can boast. If there was any way that we could achieve or attain this faith on our own, we have cause for boasting. Paul is making it super clear. It is a gift. Free gift from God. Not based on works. Not based on knowledge. Not based on seminary. Not based on anything. But the gift God chooses to give it and who God chooses to give it to and he says, by that gift and through that faith, because of Christ's perfect life, if you are covered by the blood, you are what? Brought near to him. Right? He's speaking to the Jew and Gentile. A new man is available, brought near by the blood, and the new man is to come together to form a what? Spiritual temple. A house in which God can dwell by his spirit built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. This is the reason you've been adopted, the reason you've been chosen, the reason you are in Christ is to form a house in which God can dwell by his spirit. Right? In verse 3, I'm sorry, then in chapter 3, he says what? If this mystery has been revealed to you, listen to me, saints, if this mystery has been revealed to you, it is for a very specific purpose. Chapters 3, verses 10 and 11. I don't know, I'm just still wearing my glasses. <laughs> to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. So why is the church... Why does the church come together to form a holy temple built on the apostles and prophets foundation? Christ himself is the cornerstone built by the living stones. You and I, why do we come together? Because by our lives, we proclaim this mystery. What mystery? The mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, the faith that we have been given, the mystery of ages, the ancient mystery. Hallelujah. So we are given this faith as a gift because we are to communicate it. We are to live it. We are to display it. God 
wants to put himself on display in the lives of the ones that he has called to himself. So if that is the case, right? And Paul ends chapter three with a prayer of appreciation for this mystery, right? A pre a appreciation that he has been, by God's choice alone, had this revealed to him. Have what revealed to him? Everything he just taught, that somehow, some way, God chose him before the foundations of the world to be adopted, to be holy in Christ before the foundations of the world, to be seated in Christ in heavenly places, to already have every spiritual blessing, to be given a wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of God, to have a, an awareness that by the blood he has been brought near. It's not by works. It's by grace through faith alone. As we are brought near by the blood, we become a brand new living temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. And in this living temple, God can dwell by his spirit. And that is specifically because it's the destiny of this temple that we declare to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm, the manifold wisdom of God, the very mystery, right, that we have had our eyes open to that brings us into this fold. We are to share that mystery, the destiny of the church, the destiny of the set-apart family, the destiny of the individual disciple is to proclaim this mystery. Paul ends praying for how amazing that is. And then look at the transition starting in chapter 4 in verse 1. Remember what Peter said. Because of what you just read, now you need to do this. You guys remember the transition? Verse 5 of Second Peter. Because of this, this is what you do, and it's entirely what? Virtuous living. Because of this, this incredible mystery, this incredible truth, that if you are authentically born again, you can be partakers of the divine mystery. It's based on these two promises. Promises that are only given if you are authentically born again, a brand new heart with God's law written on it, a brand new spirit that compels you to move in that law. If you walk in those promises and because of those promises, you can partake in this divine nature. So here's what you got to do. All that truth was given to you. That's called faith. To add to that faith or the expression of that faith or the walking out of that faith is what? Moral living excellence of living excellence in how you live every minute of every day and what does that do according to peter it keeps you from being short-sighted it keeps you from being double-minded it keeps you from ultimately falling away to blindness and maybe even forgetting you were even saved forgetting that this is all real maybe questioning whether or not this is all real somehow some way us adding virtuous life <laughs> so good. Somehow, some way, us adding virtuous living protects us from that. Protects us from doubt. Protects us from question. Protects us from deception. Right? So it just makes perfect sense that Paul, led by the same spirit, communicating to brand new believers in Ephesus, after he spends three chapters laying out this incredible theological truth, he's about ready to make a transition, the same transition Peter made. Peter said, because of all this, you got to walk right. 
What do you think Paul's getting ready to say? Verse 4, chapter 1. Diane, read that. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What, why, would that, why would that be obvious? Why would that make sense? Because he's the same spirit is leading Paul to exhort his audience to what the spirit was leading Peter to exhort his audience to do. And the message is simple, saints, and this is, the, this is the single point I pray that we all get today. The first and primary and foundational response to the faith gift, to the clarity gift, to the grasping of this reality, the incredible reality that we can be partakers of a divine nature, that God somehow, some way, found a way to make it possible to get what he's always wanted, a people after his own heart, a people that share in his nature, a people that walk in his ways, a people that authentically love and desire him. He somehow, some way, found a way to make that possible with this divine intervention of a heart transplant and a putting of his spirit inside of us. That to have that revelation shown to us, the first primary and fundamental response to that is how we live. Awesome. It's how we live every day. And somehow, some way, the way in which we live when it's aligned with what God calls excellent, when with what it's aligned with what God calls a man and what God calls a woman, it somehow, some way protects that very faith and that very revelation and the grasping of that very mystery that we were given. Beautiful. Look at how, then Paul says, by the way, um, walk worthy of this of this revelation, and then he lists a bunch of things, and guess what? Um, most of them overlap. It's the same stuff to add. It's the same message. It's the same revelation. To protect the gift that you have been given, you gotta walk specifically. You gotta walk virtuously. You gotta walk how I call you to walk. Go back to Peter again. So Peter says in verses 8 and 9, if, if these things abound in you, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful. But if you choose to not do this, if you choose to not walk morally, if you choose to continue to live worldly, even though you've been given this invitation, if you choose to walk worldly, you will be short-sighted, even unto blindness, perhaps even forgetting you've been cleansed. But then he goes back to the positive side, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, right? He's already said, give all diligence. How important is this? It's the first thing we add to the faith. With all diligence, if you have been authentically born again, this is the first thing you put your mind to. This is the first thing you put your intentions to. This is the first thing you begin to study. This is the first thing you commit to. How we live. Right? What did James say? Thus your faith, if it is without works, it's dead. Right? It's either dying or it's already dead. That's sort of what I, I'm getting out of, Paul, out of Peter's teaching of this. 
right? So the, so the works that he's talking about, I would argue, is not first and foremost ministry, it's morality. It's just living a godly life. It's just being a godly man and being a godly woman. Right? And now look at how he ends. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And what is he talking about? Is he talking about God's side of our salvation? God's side is done. Signed, sealed, delivered, done. Mic dropped by the unblemished lamb. It's done. He's already sitting down. But he's saying you can make your election sure on your end by doing what? Living virtuously. And somehow, someway, he says, if you do these things, you will never what? Man, that is so good. If you do these things, you will never stumble. The body of Christ is meant to live this rock-solid life. Not tossed around by the world and all the nonsense and all the chaos. So we're going to read Psalm 1 to end today. Recognizing that Peter said, if you have the courage to add virtuous living, you will not stumble. If you go on living worldly, you're going to be barren. You're going to be unfruitful. You're going to be short-sighted. You're going to be double-minded. You're going to be adrift and miserable. Right? Everything he's been showing us, everything we've been talking about comes from worldly living. Or at least the not partaking in worldly living is a way to be protected from those things. But at the end of the day, he says, if you choose to live virtuously, you will not stumble. Now let's read Psalm 1. One of my favorite psalms. I think it's just such a beautiful explanation point to what Peter is saying here. Michael, you want to read that for us? What a beautiful reminder that stability, that prosperity, not get rich nonsense, but health, 
the context of prosper in that psalm is really about the, the health of a tree, a tree surviving and succeeding as a healthy tree should. That that's all because of what? Someone who delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. The response to our faith and the protecting of our faith is in how we live. So it makes perfect sense then that to virtue we add what? Knowledge. What is the knowledge? The law of God. What is the law of God? His definition of a virtuous man and his definition of a virtuous woman. And as we meditate on those things, to Angie's point this morning, I thought it was so perfect and even prophetic. You kids have an opportunity to have incredible stability in the Lord. The faith that you've been given and the certainty of your salvation, you have an incredible invitation to protect it your whole life by how you live, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, by your obedience, you will somehow, some way, be certain of your election. What a gift. What a gift that will be. For all of us that have spent way too much time living worldly and all of the confusion that it causes, all of the doubt that it causes, all of the instability that it causes, you can be protected from that. What a gift. So the, so, the, so the list, so this is where we were going to break out and, and say here's the, the list that Diane and I did not come up with on our own. It is just straight Bible. It is straight law. Straight God. His definition of a man, his definition of a woman. His definition of how a man should live, his definition of how a woman should live. There is nothing more important for any of us saints Nothing. No subject in school. No pursuit in business. No marriage counseling courses. No communication techniques. God's already told us how to be excellent as men and, and women. So the encouragement and the exhortation today is let's meditate on it. Figure out how we put that list on and walk in it. And in doing so, be protected from short-sightedness, unto blindness, unto forgetting our salvation. Put off instability. Put off double-mindedness. Put off being adrift and miserable. Put off constantly questioning whether this is all real. What's the opposite? We are stable. Our houses are built on the, on the foundation of the rock of God. We stand in the storms. We are set apart in the confusion. We have no fear. We have clarity. We have certainty. This faith continues to be protected because our focus is on moral living. I praise God for that revelation, even if it was just for myself this morning. I praise God he's teaching me how to keep the gift of believing that he is giving me. He's showing me how to protect it.
So take a list home with you. Meditate on it as the Lord leads. And we're going to come back next week. Men on one half of the room, women on the other half of the room, and we're going to discuss them. And we pray, Father God, that as we study on our own this week, that your spirit would lead us into all truth. That we would add your definition of virtuous living and moral excellence. That you would give us understanding in each of the areas that you've shown us and that we would have the courage with all diligence to add these things or to subtract things. Whatever is required, Lord, for your saints at NCC to continue to be sanctified, to continue to pursue holiness, to continue to be drawn closer and closer and closer unto you. We pray for strength and perseverance. We pray for endurance and encouragement. We pray for truth and clarity. We pray for protection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.